Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. This month, we are teaming up with igotout.org, a consortium of cult survivors supporting the I Got Out movement of activism and education to help shine light on the commercial cults more commonly known as multi-level marketing. Throughout the month of November, follow along with us on social media as we share MLM statistics, cult education, survivor stories, and ways that you can join in on the movement. Visit igotout.org to share your MLM experience and share your I Got Out selfie using the hashtags I Got Out and I Got Out of an MLM on social media. Freedom of thought is a universal human right. Hey, Hunbuds and Humbros, really quick housekeeping before we jump into the episode. Uh, for those of you that follow along on social media, maybe you saw that I was up in LA this week and I got to go to the Vow season two finale premiere. It was really cool. Sarah invited me, and I will talk more about that uh, next week on Sarah's episode. This episode is not an MLM cult. It is a little bit different, but such a fascinating story, and I hope you guys enjoy it. I also wanted to say thank you to everybody who has submitted cult stories um, and remind you that you still have time to submit a cult story if you would like. You can head to outofmlm.info and submit your cult story there. It's super easy. And then your story will be part of an episode that will live forever on the show and help others get out of their cults as well. So if you are interested in doing that, please head to the links in the show notes and submit your story. Other than that, enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. We have a focus on cults this month. I am so excited to introduce my next guest. I absolutely loved his book, Manhattan Cult Story. I am beyond excited. Spencer Schneider, welcome to the show. It is incredible to finally connect with you and have this conversation. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure to be on your podcast and to meet you. I'm excited to speak to you. Seriously, your book... Oh man, it was incredible. You were in a cult in Manhattan that sort of just flies under the radar. I'd never heard of this. I had never heard any of this. I didn't even know who Sharon was. So reading this book, being put into your world, it was just mind-blowing. But I connected to so much of it because of MLM and the cult connection. So I cannot wait to sort of get into this and talk to you about this. But the first thing I want to talk to you about is sort of like how this even became anything for you at all. Like, how did this even cross your path? Yeah, I I mean, it was not expected. It was not anything I was looking for. I mean, I was minding my own business, really. I was a 29-year-old lawyer in uh, 1989. I just started law. I was young and uh, working crazy hours and had a, um, you know, sort of like a, a late 20s crisis, you know, when all my friends are sort of getting married and moving on. And, you know, it's like the same old thing all the time. So I started playing bass in a band. 
and we played in this bar band in Manhattan. You know, one of the bartenders there showed an interest in me and we started talking. Really nice guy, very uh, intellectual, you know, uh, Ivy League educated and was going to grad school at Columbia at night and was, you know, just trying to make some money. And we were just, you know, having nice chats. And then it slowly became more personal. And he asked a lot of questions about my life. And, you know, I didn't think much of it, but eventually he proffered an invitation to what he described as a esoteric school where people come to learn about you know, raising consciousness and evolving. When he said that to me, and he first, he swore me to secrecy. He told me he never talked about this with anyone, that it was very precious in his life, and that I couldn't mention it to anyone, which I readily agreed to. But my first impression was that this was a cult. I was offended that he would think that someone like me an educated person who has no lack would ever want to be in an effing cult. He was highly offended and the meeting kind of ended. I felt incredibly guilty about saying this to him and reconnected with him. And he told me more about it. Um, and he said it was just classes that met twice a week in Manhattan. There was a month where you could come for free. And that we studied these philosophers, Gurdjieff and Espensky, who I had never heard of before, even though I was a philosophy major, and then um, invited me to meet somebody else who was in the group. I was kind of had little interest. I was like, huh, like the secret group in Manhattan. He said it was based on an oral tradition that was ancient. And I was like, huh, you know, I had studied philosophy and it all sounded, you know, sketchy, but I would check it out. So I met him and a friend. This guy's name was Bruce. Her name was Heather. And we met at a bar. I was struck by their connection. They seemed to have this really deep feelings for each other, not like a sexual thing, but they just had this tight friendship. Also, she was extremely bright, also a highly educated professional, was talking about like meaningful things. Like, what do you find meaningful in your life? What do you want? What are your aches? What are your wishes? And then spoke about this thing called school with this incredible admiration that I'd never really seen anything like that before. Now, I've seen Hari Krishners. I know all about cults. I've heard about Scientology. I know highly devotional people. And usually in my mind, they're losers. And they've got nothing, and they're just suckers. But these were not, didn't look like suckers or losers to me. And I thought, okay, big ask, I'll go to a meeting. And that was how I got introduced to it. It's interesting, all the things you're saying, and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long was that sort of conditioning from the moment that you met the bartender until you had those um, like meetings with Bruce and Heather? I would say it was about, you know, it was a few months of- wow getting to know Bruce and whatnot. And it was someone who I had some sense of trust in, kind of knew him. We never talked about this kind of group. It was like if you found out someone 
who was a friend of yours, like an acquaintance of yours, had like a fetish or something like that. I don't know, just some secret about themselves that you wouldn't judge necessarily. It It's odd. He's in a school. That's odd. But I'm not going to like hate him. Right. Um, it's just a little different than the norm that you're used to. Just a little yeah. something different that makes you go, hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more. Right. Exactly. That morbid um, curiosity we all have. Exactly. That was the other thing. They they presented it as um, an intellectual pursuit, which uh, interested me because I'd been in college. I hadn't been in college in years. And now I was a lawyer and I was a lot of drudgery. It was not like Atticus Finch, you know, like in To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, I wasn't fighting for justice. I was working for corporate clients. It was not the same. I worked for a big firm in Manhattan. So this seemed to be like a, you know, something with more soul. It's also interesting that you say like that these people that you were meeting were educated, that they were well-spoken, articulate. Right. That they don't seem like the typical people that you would associate with joining a cult or being into nefarious deeds. Very normal and like people that just were like, I want to help you. Right. Absolutely. And I, I just want to be clear, we were talking about like offending people. And I don't think anybody who joins a cult knows they're joining a cult. And I don't think anyone who joins any group is a loser. Quite the opposite. I think that they're winners. They're looking for something. And it may not be something that they're joining. No one wants to be duped. Nobody wants that. And everyone is careful. But these groups prey on good people who have the traits of loyalty, independent thinking, curiosity, inquisitiveness, a desire to improve. These are exceptionally important qualities. So when I say loser, I mean it in the most, um, you know, uh, kind way, I guess, or, you know, joking. I don't Absolutely. mean it. it's a fact, you know. So I want to say that to other people, especially because there's a lot of, of, of us victims, you know, who have so much judgment about it. And it's really hard to get over that. Right. Yeah. And I also say, like, if you don't laugh, you cry. And so there's so much right. dark humor. And in fact, cult survivors, okay. I think, probably have the darkest sense of humor of yeah. any people that I've met. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I just don't want to offend anybody by saying that. But. So tell us about that first free class you went to. It was uh, not what I expected because, well, first of all, I was not told where I was going. Uh, Bruce asked me to meet him at a subway stop in lower Manhattan in a part of New York that sort of closes down at night. And it's kind of a sketchy area. You know, it's like desolate. And we went into a, a nondescript loft building and it was, you know, an, uh, a clean room with a bunch of white plastic chairs, 60 or so white people who looked like me. And they were all like, you know, came from work. They were wearing suits and, and whatnot and carrying briefcases. You know, we sat in a circle around two people who led the class. First, I was told what the rules were. I mean, that was the first part. They took the, us new people and they told us what the rules were, which were mostly about secrecy that we couldn't fraternize with other people who were in the class, meaning you couldn't exchange phone numbers, that this was a sacred place, you know, like a place that's separate from your life. You leave your day at the door and you come here and you work with people and form a new friendship with. You know, what's so interesting is yeah. that is called cross-lining in multi-level marketing, and it is a big no-no. They don't want you to fraternize with 
people that are the same level as you on different teams. And that's to prevent people from sharing the same horrible things that are happening to them, you know, really information control. They don't like that because then you're like, oh, well, I'm not really making any money. Well, I'm not really making any money either. That's weird. We should talk more about this. And that information of people that are all in the same place, you they don't want you talking to them outside of the group. They don't want you talking to them outside of the MLM or outside of business or anything because you'll all start to realize that you're all in the same boat and that you're not actually getting any of these promises fulfilled. Do you even know that these other uh, groups exist? Well, this is mostly, I think, with like Amway. Amway is right. very like, don't cross line. We, there was no problem in LuLaRoe with cross lining and, right. and some MLMs really don't care, but there are some that are very like, you don't talk to them and you could be punished. That's I don't know exactly, what the punishments yeah. would be, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, there were other groups in the cult that met other nights, many of them. And we didn't even know that they existed. Oh, wow. I mean, I might meet someone on the street from my group. And if I saw somebody from my group on the street, we were told to ignore them. Don't even look at them. Don't certainly don't talk. But if I saw somebody from another group, I would never even know who they were. So, I mean, I didn't know that there were other groups in, in Manhattan. I didn't know there were other groups in Boston. And I didn't know there were other groups elsewhere. And I didn't know any history of this group whatsoever, except from what I was told by someone who I trusted. And through yeah. a very attractive woman who I hoped would be in my class. And, you know, maybe I'd hang out with her and other nice looking women. There weren't. Uh, there were other nice looking women, but I, we, there was no dating them. The only time I could see them or any of these people, who, and I became very close with them over the years, was in class. So I had no choice but to come to class if I wanted to hang with these people who became incredibly special to me over the years. Right. So that class was, you know, pretty dull. The first night, I didn't think much of it. I thought the teachers were weird. I like um, all the red flags are flapping in your face. Your cognitive dissonance is like Spencer. What are we doing here? I, it was no interest whatsoever, and I I wasn't inclined to go back. But I had committed to go for a month, and Bruce had said, you know, this is a month experiment. If you go one night, you have to go the whole night. And I knew I was going to see him again, and I didn't want to have to go through like all this pressure again with him. And, you know, see him at the bar and say, why didn't you go back? And then I'd have to like, you know, so I figured it was easier to just keep going than to be harassed by him. And also, after the first night, I did get a phone call from someone who was in the group who turned out to be like um, what they call the sustainer. Actually, it's like a sponsor. It's the same thing. They literally took it from AA, literally. He was a very charming man. My age, also highly educated, very successful guy, didn't tell me much about himself. And, and, you know, questions about the group were just like, you couldn't really ask them. They would change the subject. So eventually you just didn't ask. There was no internet in 1989. And even now, I should tell you, the group does exist. You know, even with my book and the enormous publicity that's been out there about it. And I've been the only person really talking about it, but the press has picked up. So there's a lot, it's in the newspaper in New York. This summer, the Post ran a lot of articles about it. They keep people from looking online. They they encourage people not to look online at all. They, you know, there's a good argument not to look online. You know, it's bad to constantly do that. And so they make that pitch. 
They don't say what the name of their group is. They never have. You're invited by people who you trust and who've shown great interest in you and seem to be serious. You know, even if you wanted to look it up, it's kind of hard to look it up because you don't know the name of it. You don't know the, you know, a few names of first first names. Now, that doesn't mean that a lot of people haven't gotten out recently because they have heard about it, but that's like a handful of people. They're very uh, successful in being able to keep people finding out about it. Wow. Yeah. So you, you do the whole month and you... was it just each week it just you just sort of like broke down a little bit more like oh this might be something that I actually am interested in yes well what happened was I read the books the Gertrude book and Spensky book I thought they were kind of interesting again I didn't want to leave because of Bruce I was hoping that maybe I'd meet somebody like Heather at the group you know kind of like minimal things but then I had this major crisis in my life which is I lost my job And I got incredible support from the folks there. I mean, it was like nothing else. Like I was in love. Like they made me feel so loved and safe. And I was like, this screwed up kind of goofy ass place is actually, you know, pretty amazing. And it's a great secret I have. I don't talk to anybody about it. Um, Nobody talked about it to anyone. Still to this day, people don't talk. People have been out of it. That's how heavy duty it is. It's the fight club of cults. Oh, yeah. Nobody talks about it. Nobody mentions it. That's the first rule. Yeah, that's exactly right. So this organization that you were involved in was run by this woman named Sharon Gans. Right. Can you talk to us about who she is and what she did and why maybe that name might sound familiar to people? Yeah. So Sharon Gans was uh, an actress. Uh, originally who'd been in a a number of sort of off-Broadway plays in New York in the 60s. And then in the 70s, she had one, she was in one movie, Slaughterhouse Five. But when I met her, I had no idea who she was. She was introduced to Sharon. I'd never seen that movie. I don't know if many people had. It was kind of a cult classic, if you will. I didn't know anything about her. She didn't say anything about her. And I didn't know that she'd been run out of San Francisco you know, several years before, uh, after a big expose came out in the Chronicle saying that her and her husband ran a cult that was sexually abusing uh, women and there were allegations of child abuse. And they just went undercover, came to New York, brought a few people and rebranded themselves in complete secrecy. So that's been their MO, always being secret. They don't even... I mean, if you wanted to join the group, you couldn't. If you wanted to find them, you wouldn't be able to. Wow. Sounds right. great. Sounds right. like a lot of people are like, shit, I want to be in that, you know? <laughs> no one Sex. would be able to find me? Hmm. And, and all it is is classes twice a week. Wow. So what was it like the first time that Sharon came to your class and you actually got to like be in her presence? Well, I didn't know who she was. We didn't, talk, we weren't, we had these other teachers for a year and then she suddenly came and they said, she's the teacher. And we're like, what? And, um, you know, she's very uh, bizarre, eccentric looking older woman with this bright orange hair and this very imperial way about her. And she was dressed like a medieval queen. And, you know, the leaders there were bowing down to her practically. She sat on a platform and it was strange. And she talked about sex in a very open, say like a sailor. 
and most of the class was perplexed. And she left. That was it. I didn't really think much. I mean, I thought she was nuts. I really did. But the teachers who we admired liked her so much. And, you know, we're all in the same boat. No one wants to rock the boat. We figured, okay, maybe she'll show up once in a while, whatever. But she came back. She really hooked us with her incredible ability to make you feel so good about yourself. And there's something so powerful about being given, handed this confidence by uh, someone in a room of 60 people who you admire and make you feel special. You overlooked how strange she was. And so it was, you know, a lot of being made feel uh, special for quite some time. And then it changed. Her behavior became different. So you didn't even meet Sharon for an entire, almost an entire year into your adventure in school. Wow. And you were in for a total of 23 years. That's right. I mean, I mean, we could just talk forever about all of this. Here's another thing that I wrote down in my notes that is very similar to multi-level marketing is that you guys would have classes like way past midnight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They would just talk and talk and talk and talk. Classes started at seven. You had to be on time. You couldn't be late. I think John Gotti killed somebody because they came late to a meeting. And I think this is a common trait of narcissists and sociopaths that they get highly offended if you show up late. And Sharon was, I mean, you couldn't come late. It would be better for you to not to go. And then that would be a whole nother issue. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. 
They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash M-L-M to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash M-L-M. you would get humiliated. And I was, I talk about that in my book and what that was like and how they actually made that sound like it was my fault. And it was a horrible character flaw of being late, which I'm not, you know, I mean, happens. So, Absolutely. It happens. Yeah. It's it's wild to like, be like, that's a character flaw. But again, that's all cultic control. That's all information and behavior control. Like you won't be late. You won't disrespect me or you will pay. Right. And Whereas on the other flip side, they those rules don't apply to them. Sharon would come whenever the fuck she wanted, and they would just talk all night long. I mean, they would just come, and she wouldn't shut up. None of them would shut up. They would just talk and talk, and you'd be going crazy. And if you looked like you were tired, which everyone was, they would say, you look tired. They'd single someone out and say, go put water on your face. You know, you have a weak being. You need to wake up. And so, you know, if they did made an example of one person, it became like a whole thing. You would do anything to, you know, be awake. And yeah. so classes would go late. You know, people get sick from that. And um, my life now, you know, I go to bed like at 930 now. Like, I will not stay out past 730 if I ever go out at night. I'm, I'm like, I can't. I'm catching up on it. I got a lot of late nights to catch up on. I just want to right, sleep. Right, right. <laughs> well, but I should say that my book is also... It's about my survival and the very happy life I have now and how people can absolutely have, a, you know, even happier life uh, than um, they did before. And I completely agree with you. And I, I think that's most yeah, look people at you. that leave you're, these. An, you're <laughs> an example of, look at you. I mean, it's an amazing transformation. And, and all the good that you do, you know, you're doing the best thing you can, which is instead of like your cult, fucking people over, you're helping people. So what I wanted to talk about, and it was one of the things that really struck me like a lot in your book was how to recruit, because I think there are a lot of people that listen to the show because of the MLM or the, the cult and the fraud factor. And they get involved in a lot of really shady things that they're like, I should have known better because I'm aware of these things. I listen to cult podcasts. I'm, I'm, I was involved in an MLM. Like, how did I get stuck in something else? And so I think a lot of times that it's that recruiting, you are made to feel very comfortable. Like this is your friend. And so I was curious if you could take us through what it would be like to recruit somebody into school so that uh, if any of those red flags came up, we could just be a little bit more prepared in the future. Well, I think you've laid that out pretty well. 
in your writings about it. Um, and it's very similar. I mean, let, let me just say that the recruiting rules designed to lure and vet people at the same time uh, by being camouflaged. I mean, they're highly camouflaged. You can't really tell that it's happening because if you do, they will then suck you in further and try to you know, lead you off. So like, if you say, is this a cult? They're like, are you kidding me? Like, or how dare you say something like that? Or, which is what they did to me, you know, in a way. And I felt guilty about it. They are casting a very wide net and they get maybe like 8% of the people to even come to a meeting. And then maybe out of that 8%, 10% stay, right? So it's a very small number. I'm sure that's the same with MLMs, right? Yeah. I mean, unless there's some sort of great deal that month that everybody joins for free to get some stupid thing, then yeah. But mostly right. it's right. a lot of people going, this sounds like a pyramid scheme. Never mind. Exactly. Yeah. And you look it up and it's really hard to tell. Um, I guess some of the big things are, you know, like you said, secrecy. If there's not like full disclosure on what's going on or they throw it back on you, that's a really big sign. The other thing is, and, and if you start to think that the secrecy is a good thing, it's not. So go back to rule one, secrecy, really bad. Yeah. Like if this is so wonderful and so great, you should be able to go home and talk to your partner, your spouse, your kids, your friends and say, I learned this really amazing thing today at my class and I want to share it with you. Right. But they're like, don't tell anybody. Don't even tell me we're here. In fact, if you see me on the street, pretend we don't even know each other. That's like just so, so many red flags right there. The secrecy. Right. Absolutely. Right. One of the big hallmarks of a cult is leaders who are exploiting people. That's very, very hard to find out when you're first meeting them. But it is not hard to notice a hierarchy that, you know, is evident when you get involved. And so that is another tipping sign. I mean, you may not notice that as you're being recruited, but if you attend any meeting and there's a hierarchy where people are sort of instructing you or giving you information that you don't know, or they are saying, even admitting that some of the information is counterintuitive, that's a big red flag. Once the information is counterintuitive, well, three things. They're dispensing information, the information is counterintuitive, and they are telling you to cast aside your doubts about the counterintuitiveness trouble. And so in other words, trust I guess the thing is that I'm saying, and, and it's really is I'm saying the opposite of what a cult would say. I'm saying, trust your impulses, trust your instincts. Don't be afraid to, because most people have really good instincts. I, I mean, guess. you're super smart. Like you're super duper duper smart. Yeah. And I, and I didn't trust my instincts. It, it hit right. the biggest checkbox. And so I ignored all the little checkboxes that I should have been paying attention to. Right. And I think that happens a lot with people, you know, does every day That's every day what, right it's vulnerability right like yeah. you would have never gone to that first meeting the, the second third fourth and then joined and stayed for 23 years if you weren't at least a little vulnerable somewhere in your life where someone yeah. said something and you're like you know what yeah I do need that I really liked it also I mean I began to like it it was really great and fun and I really did like it and I've talked to people who've been in it and they've all said the same thing about right. liking it so much. Like the self-help and the group yeah. and, and the support of these people. But you can get that without this hierarchy cult leader who's playing puppet master. 
Right. But that's the, that's the rub. Some people like that. Like that's different, you know, and it reminds them of, well, you know, maybe like religious experiences that they've had or, you know, family, you know, these things that you have a longing for, or maybe you didn't have that worked out well. And, oh, yeah. here's another chance to get that feeling again. And so you may subconsciously be having that. Look, I'm not an expert. I really am not. I, I'm not trained in anything. I'm just talking for my own self. So I, I really want to be clear about that. If you buy my book, great. You know, if you don't, I'm still, I have a law, I'm a law practice. It's, you know, I hope you do buy it, but uh, this is- It's not, fantastic. Not, thanks. It, it is amazing. Do you have an audio version of it as well? Yes, there is an audio version and you could get it for free if you sign up on for Audible on um, Amazon. I think a lot of- Oh, yeah. I'll throw those links in the show notes so people can find it really easily. Um, So let's talk about this book. Yeah. You're in this organization for 23 years. You leave. Well, we'll save all of that for the people that read the book because your story is just fantastic. So you leave this organization and you decide, I'm going to write a book. What was that like? Did you just sort of like feel compelled to tell your story? What it was, was I wanted justice for myself. You know, what I felt the way to do that was, uh, you know, I became like obsessed with wanting to close them down because of what they did to me and to other people and how horrible it was and the abuse that I suffered and the crimes that they committed, forcing people to do work, the sexual abuse that they were somehow able to get away with it. And I figured the best way to, to shut them down is to tell the story. And so I started writing the book. I wrote an article first about it. It got published, luckily, somehow. And then by luck, somebody wanted to buy the book. And then I wrote it. And I had an enormous amount of help. I'm not, a, I'm not an author. I'm a, I write by my living as a lawyer. But this was a different kind of writing. So that was my impetus. To, and, and also, you know, look, I, I wanna, it's not just shutting them down because I hate them. I, I want to free the people who are there. And as I wrote it more and more, I certainly freed myself, but I also realized that this is a great story to help other people who might be in abusive situations. And so many people are. It's shocking. Absolutely. Yeah. There were so many connections as I was reading this. I mean, I was highlighting it as I was reading it. And it got to the point where like, I was highlighting so much that I wasn't focused. I said, I can't even highlight. I will highlight this whole book. There were so many connections to things where I was like, yes, that happened to me. Or yes, I had a guest that talked about that happening to them. I mean, even, you know, certain things that happened in your life had happened in mine. And I connected with you very early on in the book and was like, yes. And then I would send you messages. I'm like, this is amazing. Uh, It's just (laughs) such an incredible story. If you guys are into cults and if you're listening to this, I know you are. It is a, an amazing story. Uh, so Spencer, for anybody listening right now that might be going, um, I think my mom, brother, sister, friend is involved in a school type situation because they are still going on. Um, what are some maybe some like dog whistles, keywords or something that you can give us um, that people could go, oh, wait a second, my sister does talk about that, or that's sort of something she, you know, that maybe could sort of open up this conversation and help people either find this podcast, find your book, or help people see what it really is and get out. Right. Well, I do, you know, I I do have a list of like, 
you know, uh, telltale signs of a cult that I came up with, you know, like nine, I, you know, sort of things about it. It's hard to, you know, that's help, useful for yourself, but for other people, if you have loved ones in it, it's, it's extremely painful. And I hear from a lot of families of victims from this and other cults. And I think that the main thing is, um, you know, if you think they're in one, they probably are, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's just, you'll, you can tell, I mean, that sort of admiration and also that they have for something else and losing them in your life. You might have arguments with them about it. It's all kinds of possibilities. Families usually recognize it, but how to handle it. I think, you know, I think it's almost impossible to talk someone out of getting out of a cult. It's very, very hard. I think the most important thing is to, to give a lot of love. It seems counterintuitive, but to be very loving and, you know, welcoming and creative atmosphere of trust that they can trust you. And the nicer that you are to them, the better you are to them. It, it's, it's good. But I wouldn't put up with shit from people. If you have someone in your family who's that, you know, you have to sort of draw very strong lines with people. And I think that might be the case with people who are addicted to cults. I, I call it the frying pan theory. I know that there's like actual yeah. words of, but for me, it's like getting out of one frying pan and jumping right into another one. People that are addicted to this sort of thing, the comfort and the chaos right? Um, and being able to have these conversations or be able to say, Hey, are you okay? Do you want to talk to me about this? Because you're right. Like people aren't going to leave anything. They're not ready to leave, especially when they have an entire group behind them that are going, right. well, those people just, you know, they just want to see you miserable like they are. Exactly. Um, and so uh, another thing that I will say to people, you know, like always when there's that little crack just to plant that seed, like I'm here for you without judgment. I am your friend without judgment. We can talk about this. I understand you're in something that you don't really can't really talk about. But if you ever need to know that I'm a safe place and I will keep your secret so they know they can always come to you without judgment and to be able to talk about things. Exactly. Um, it's formulaic to get in and it's really hard to get out. And there isn't is. really a formula to get out other yeah. than understanding that the people you love still love you. They're just warped a little from the organization that they're in. Yeah. You can be that lifeline if they need it. I think right. it takes a lot of anxiety out of people when they're sure. worried about leaving things like this. Yeah. I mean, I think your family member who's in a cult, you've, you've been demonized by the cult and they trust the cult more than they trust you. So if you could prove them wrong by being, you know, angelic and loving, that'll go a long way. I also think that people who are in cults, many of them, not all of them, but many people leave because they feel that they're really betrayed. You have to kind of find that out on your own. Um, but if you're pr providing, you know, a loving relationship to someone, when they get betrayed or feel betrayal on the other end, they'll know that you love them. And so that would be my uh, general advice. There are experts on this. If you have a family member who's in a cult, you know, it's hard for you. you you're going to suffer. So you got to take care of yourself also. That's my two cents on it. Yeah. So how long have you been out of school and how has your life been since leaving? 10 years, very tough road initially. I had a lot of involvements, uh, family involvements and business involvements with the cult that when I got out, it was actually, as I had feared, 
that I'd lost everything, which in fact was the opposite. So it took me a number of years to figure out that, no, I hadn't lost everything. I gained everything. And I got involved in things that I always wanted to do. I got involved in swimming, which really saved my life and became this um, passion for me and gave me great meaning. And maybe that's what I'll write about next time about how I've found this whole life and meaning and the profoundness of swimming and connections I've made with people. So I'm doing all right. You know, I have some bad days, believe me, I have lousy days and there's lots of relapses and depression, um, which is, was really the big thing. You know, I had a lot of depression. Yeah, I can imagine how many of your school friends have left and contacted you and you have gotten back in touch with. Well, um, there were a lot of people who left before me. And so I called them all and, you know, um, and they were all, hey, glad you're out. And I have great relationships with them um, because we have this common bond. Now there's no judgment and we're free. And there, and then people who left after me, uh, there are two categories, people I knew and people I didn't know. And I've formed great friendships with both categories. That's wonderful to hear. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. All right, Spencer. So one of the things that I love so much about your socials, which uh, I'm going to have you plug here in a second, is for those of you that are reading the book and you're doing this companion with Spencer's Instagram, he actually takes you on tours of a lot of the locations in the book. Uh, and it's really cool. So if you are reading the book, it's really cool to follow along. If you're like me, I like the visualization of things. So huh. as he's giving this tour and he's like, well, this is where I was when this happened. It's just really cool. So if if you're like me and you like that 360, um, absolutely check out his Instagram. But Go ahead and plug the book, the Instagram, everything so everyone can find you. And then we're going to do some rapid fire questions about cults. Sounds great. All right. So the book is Manhattan Cult Story, my unbelievable true story of sex crimes, chaos and survival. So that's the book, Manhattan Cult Story. It's available at your favorite local bookstore and your favorite online retailer. And there is an audio book as well. And you can get it on Kindle and you could also get it in the library. Um, and if you get the book and you want me to send you a, a book plate, all you have to do is find my email, uh, which is spencer3000 at gmail.com. Or you can go online and find my website, spencer-schneider.com. My Instagram is official, Spencer Schneider. And I'm, I'm on Facebook as well. So, but on Instagram, I post a lot and I post a lot about the book and uh, that's, I guess, you know, email me. I'm happy to talk. Amazing. I'll definitely respond to you. If you write to me, I'll definitely respond. He is very responsive. We've been trying to talk for a while and I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm just so I'm busy and he's it. busy and, and we got together very quickly. So absolutely. Spencer's great. Definitely hit him up. If you have any questions about this, um, you ready to do some rapid fire questions? Do it. What is one word that encompasses how you feel about cults? Suffering. What is a warning that you would give to somebody who maybe is looking into joining a cult? Trust yourself. In your experience of learning about cults, um, what has been the worst one that you've come across? Oh, the one that Faith Jones was in, uh, the family, the God, uh, that crazy one where the adults slept with the 
kids children of god yes oh my god wow that's a god okay that's a that's a worst that's a that's a bad cult to to pick absolutely really bad cult really bad cult what is the hardest lesson that you learned during your time in school those people were not my friends and then um what is the positive takeaway from your time in school that um, I'm a lot more resilient than I thought I was. Oh, amazing. Your your book is incredible, you guys. For real, I will put all of the links to everything so you can follow Spencer. His journey is amazing. If you guys are into cults, and like I said, if you're listening to this, you most likely are, check out Manhattan Cult Story. It is a wild ride. Spencer, thank you so much for being vulnerable, for coming on here, for sharing a little bit about your story, because if you want the whole thing, you really just need to read the book. Thank you so much. This is really awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.